So glad to see you this morning. This morning, I'm going to try to complete the three verses of John chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. Remember John's great praise. He's overwhelmed. He's been speaking about the wonderful work of God and, and our being the children of God. And he stops for a moment before he continues in chapter 3, verse 4. Because he's going to talk about living righteously. But before he does that, he stops. The Holy Spirit stops him. I don't want to emphasize John stops. The Holy Spirit stops John and overwhelms John with a revelation and an experience that John has had before. But he just gives him, if you would, pours out a bucket full of this revelation upon him. And what is that? He stops and he says, see, see what? See what kind of love the Father has bestowed, poured out upon us that we should be called the children of God and such we are. And as we said last time, there's a lot that preoccupies our minds and our thoughts, our experiences. These last several weeks for me, I don't want to do that. I want to get on with the class. These last several weeks for me, beginning April 12th when I had the first operation, and then it went downhill from that. These have been physically the most grueling weeks of my life. But more than that, these have been, for me, and Nick and I talked about this the other day. I think Nick, see, I know I saw him walk in. Where are you, Nick? Oh, there you are, way back there. Okay. These have been, for me, not only the most grueling weeks, although I'm mostly out of it now, other than the effects of the nerve damage in my leg, hopefully, which will be healing. Spiritually, emotionally, mentally, I have never, I'm almost 79 years old, I have never experienced such a consistent, continual barrage against me. That the enemy used when my body was at its weakest point than I ever remember. I've been sick a few times, but nothing like this. Nothing. And the enemy used this opportunity to assault, to attack, to question. Sought the opportunity to undermine to create, come on in, brother, to create doubts, to wonder why, when, how. What I had to do, and I've never had to do this like this before, I had to wage, and when I say I, do never understand when I say I, Peter Davidson as a man of strength and power. Never think that of me. But in the weakness 
feeling like I was in a storm, drowning, drowning, unable to be able to swim. And I know how to swim. I used to be a lifeguard. Drowning in weakness. This is the eye that I say of Peter Davidson. Not the eye of a great teacher and pastor and elder. Nah. There's no such eye in me. It isn't there. It's the eye of a man who was more this time in his life confronted with his weakness and inability and et cetera, et cetera. And I know a little bit about the Word of God. I have little experience in walking with the Lord. I couldn't swim. Joe, I couldn't overcome the waves. You hear me? I thought, I'm not going to make it. Spiritually. Physically, I didn't even know anything about that, but that wasn't my primary concern. I didn't know what was going to happen. There's one word that kept me going and undergirded me and began to, if you would, be a hand of strength given to me in the midst of this drowning And it's not that my hand reached up and grabbed that hand with the strength, Gordon. But my hand is like this. Give me a hand like that. Hi. And this hand, this hand did this. It grabbed me. And this hand held on to me. Ooh, excuse me. If she's bruised, what? This hand held on to me and slowly pulled me out. Of the storm. One word, Stephen. One word that kept me going. So let's continue with the class. Oh, you want to know what the word is? One word. Father. Father. Chrissy, that's the word that kept me going. Father. Donnie, that's the word that kept me going. Lisa, one word. Jody, Father. I'm here this morning, not that as a man who has been victorious and gone through struggles and made it through. I'm a man who has been in the waves, the winds and waves of storm. Remember in Luke 8, carest thou not that we perish with the boat? Remember that, Toddy? But a man in whom, with, that God himself got into the water with me and slowly pulled me up and put my feet on dry ground, Mary, and began to give me the strength and ability and etc. 
to continue to walk, Jason. That's who I am. And part of the strength and the work of God in doing that was your prayers. Amen. He says, thank you for teasing me. I'm made aware of your care for me and my weaknesses. Your humor is self-deprecating. I don't even know what that means, but. (laughs) Listen, when you have a face like mine, it's easy for your humor to be self-deprecating. Everybody should have laughed on that. Let's continue with the class, okay? So I, I'm going to have to go through this faster than I anticipated, but I just felt, just all of a sudden felt I needed to share that with you. Okay? We're continuing to talk about the benefits of being adopted by God. We did that last week. A lot of benefits there. And Romans eight seventeen, part of that verse, the Apostle Paul says this, <clears throat> We have become heirs with God and fellow heirs with Christ. Now, we read these words, and they're glib. Okay, we're heirs, but we don't think. We have to stop and think. And during these last several weeks, thank God for his word of encouragement and truth and power in my life. For if I did not have it, I don't say the Lord would not or could not. I would never say that. It's not the truth. But I know what the Lord used in me. And will use in you. And it is this word. That's why I am so adamant and excited and demanding and requiring of people to be here every Sunday morning when we teach the word. Can you say amen? So, heirs of God. By heirs of God, we have been made heirs. We've been brought into the household of God, and we have been given, as I just mentioned a moment ago, the highest privilege that any person can ever have. We now address this God, this deity, this creator, this transcendent being with the same filial, filial means family, filial term or title that Jesus himself addressed God. And what is that? Father. Father. That's our highest privilege. Our highest privilege as believers is to address God as Father. The entire purpose of the atonement, the entire purpose of the atonement was to bring us who were alienated from God, who were enemies of God, who were sinners, who were weak and helpless. We just quoted from Romans chapter 5, verses 6, 8, and 10. To bring us who were dead in our sins and trespasses into a fellowship with this being whom we now can call our Father. This is what God has been after in all of our lives for saving us. We're heirs with Christ. And so look at your notes. I think it's written in your notes. I want you to see how we put this. As fellow heirs with Christ... We are now Christ's reward for his obedience. Remember in Psalm 2, the Lord says to my Lord, remember that? I will give you the nations as your what? Inheritance. If the son would do what? 
obey the Father's will to redeem a people. You remember that? We are those whom Jesus himself has inherited, that God has given us to Jesus as his reward of his obedience. That's who we are. So what does 1 Peter 2 say? He says, you are a chosen race. You what? What verb is that? You what? Say it again. You what? Are. When? 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 When are we? Now. In the midst of whatever, we what? Are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possessions, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. What does that mean? The excellencies of him. Genesis 126. Be my image bearers. The excellencies of him. You see, Genesis 126 all over the Bible. You just don't see it. Who has called us out of a darkness into his marvelous light. So this morning, let me go through the rest of these three verses of praise. And let's talk a little bit about each one. So John has said, see what love the Father has poured out and bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. And we are. Then he says this in the same verse, for this reason, for what reason? Because we're the children of God. How, does this apply to any of you? For this reason, does this, what, what John is going to say, does it apply to you, Eddie? For this reason, Eddie, for this reason, Luke, I'm going to say Luke, I know, Drew. For this reason, Darlene, Patrick, for this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. The world doesn't know us. Oh, yeah, people know me. Daniel, they don't know your true identity Amen. as a child of God. Why? Why don't they know our true identity as children of God? Why? Because we're not living the right way because, well, that may be somewhat, but there is something extremely basic and fundamental here. The reason they don't know us for who we really are, that we are the children of God, is that they first did not know Jesus' true identity as the Son of God. Amen? So you may be wondering, People don't understand me. They don't get it. We, we, it's confusing to them. Anybody ever feel that way? Come on, anybody? Yes. You ever try to share something of the gospel with some folks and they look at you like you're nuts? Anybody at all? And so what we do is this. We try harder. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on. We try harder. We, we try to come up with different evangelistic tools. There may be another way. There may be something else I need to say. Perhaps that's true, Debbie. That might be true. But that's not the primary problem. You can use all the tools, all the language, all the philosophy, all the whatever, and you can quote the word of God inside and outside until you're blue, blue, what is it? blue in the face, and it won't happen. Why? You see... As I want to quote a scripture here. Because we belong to Christ, I've lost something in here, but I, I will say it. So why doesn't the world see us? 
Why can't they see us and identify us? What is the scripture? Let me do this. Watch me. Todd, thank you. I like that illustration. Look at me, everybody. What's wrong with me? I'm what? I'm blind. Stephen, why don't they recognize you as a child of God? Because what? They're what? Blind. They can't see. See, sometimes you just have to use the right word. Can't see. How do we know that? What's the scripture that says they cannot see? You need to know these scriptures. Why aren't we identifiable? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. In whose case? They're talking about the unbelievers. The God of this world. Who is that? Satan. The God of this world has what? Blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So you're wondering why they don't understand you, don't know you? They can't see. And so as a result of this, this just shows us how significant it is for the Holy Spirit to open their eyes. Remember what Elisha prayed in 2 Kings 6.20. All these, all these people out there, thousands of people with spears and swords and angry looks on their faces ready to destroy the prophet and his associate, his helper. And his servant is saying, that's what happens to us, isn't it, when we look out there? Amen? Those of you who remember the honeymooners, that was Ralph Cramden. AJ needed to be in here, so shame on him. Now, so what does Elijah say? What's the matter with you, fool? You can't see. Don't you understand? Have you not read your Bible? He says, Lord, Yahweh, show them. And the Lord opened his eyes. And what did the servant see? Come on. How many of you read the book, saw the movie? What did he see? A host of what? <laughs> Angels. <laughs> Angels. <laughs> Somebody said something funny over here and I didn't catch it. Was that you, Sue? That was you? Oh, well, you're a bad sword anyway, so... Now, look, because we belong to Christ, it's so significant, this. Listen to what the Word says about the world's attitude about Jesus in Isaiah 53.3. He was what? Despised and what? Rejected. Why does the world essentially despise and reject us? Now, if you don't think they do, you just be a little more clear about the absolute necessity that Jesus is the only Savior and Redeemer of the world. And you begin to talk about the absolute exclusivity of Jesus himself. 
and Renee, all of a sudden, they coming out of their chairs because you're a bigot. You're narrow-minded. You're a racist. You're intolerant. You want to find out what the world really thinks about us spiritually? Just do that. Do that, young guys. And you'll find that what it said about Jesus, they what despised and rejected him. And we are his, which means that we are also despised and rejected by the world spiritually because we belong to Christ. And when they are despising and rejecting you, Anton, they are rejecting and despising the spirit of Jesus in us. Amen? It's not personal, Carolyn. It's spiritual. Ray, the target is not you primarily. It's God in you. So we need to make sure we see that. The world doesn't recognize us. Therefore, it hates us. As, it, as Jesus said in John 15, that world, if the world hates you, it hated me first. So then John continues in verse 2. Beloved, we are now the children of God. <clears throat> he makes it emphatic. Look, I know that there's a whole lot going on. There's a lot of um, uh, your true identity is veiled to you, on, not only to the world, but also veiled to us. How many of us have really understood and experienced the total reality of our identity as children of God? It's veiled to us. Remember what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve. Remember what Paul, anybody who knew more about being a child of God was who? Was the Apostle Paul. And he says, we see in a mirror what? Darkly. Dimly. We don't get it all. We don't get it all. But then we're going to see face to face. The day is coming. Not today. We see a little cloud. And in a cloudy day, you can make out some things. Ah, I see that. I see that. I see that. We read our word. The Holy Spirit gives us revelation. Oh, now I see a little better here, there, and yonder. Only partially today. But there's coming a day when God himself with the breath of his nostrils will blow away that veil. And we will see face to face. When would this happen? The rest of verse 2. Right now. We don't see it clearly. But then John says, we know. You notice how John says, we know something. He didn't say, I believe. I hope. He says this, what? I know. I know something. We know that when Jesus appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. That's the hope of the church. That's the hope that gives us power. 
wisdom, discernment, ability, desire, affection, etc., etc. We know, and do you know this? We know that when he, who? Jesus appears. What does it say? We shall be what? What does it say? Read it. We shall be what? Like him. Why? Because we shall see. Now you see it? We shall see. Now, today, we don't see real well. We don't see good, as they say. But then, John, we're going to see. We're going to see him as he is. Notice, we're not going to see him as he will be, but as he is. There's coming a day when our spiritual sight, which is in part today, will be totally and completely open to us. And we're going to see the fullness of the revelation and experience the fullness of the glory of God. In this one who has been exalted to the highest place and who has called us his own brethren. Some of us may remember this verse that the Apostle Paul talked about. And it's, it's really a challenging verse, but it's so true. At Jesus' visible return from heaven... Is he coming back? One of the things that churches don't do well anymore. One of the things that the churches don't do well anymore. Is to emphasize what God emphasizes. Throughout the Bible, from the very beginning to the end, there is... One thing that God emphasizes, one goal, one purpose, and that is that day. That day when the exalted, ruling, reigning, and returning Son of God shall appear. That's what God emphasizes. That's the goal of the gospel. The goal of the gospel is not this day. This day is not the primary day. This day is a time of preparation for that day. Now, you young guys, y'all still in school? Hmm? You can say yes if you are. Well, you know, the summer, but oh, <laughs> you're, you're a Collins, aren't you? <laughs> now, are y'all still in school? Seriously, are you still in school? Okay, now. What is emphasizing this day? What's happening this day while you're in school? You're doing what? Reading, studying, preparing, taking tests, correct? You're being taught. Why? Seriously, why, why is that important to you? Why is that important to your mom and them? If you don't study today, what's going to happen? You want what? And what's wrong with failing a test? You're not going to be able to pass and so what's going to happen ultimately you're going to what 
you're not going to gra- you're not going to graduate. Do you understand that? What's so important about graduation? Because if you don't graduate, you ain't getting no good. Thank you. What's the important for these guys going to school today? So they learn what a dangling participle is, a misplaced modifier? How many of you remember what a misplaced modifier is? How many of you know what an elliptical clause is? Oh, man, you dumb. <laughs> What's so important about these things today? If parents emphasize this day as the prime. Bob, do you teach? Where do you teach, brother? Uh, Tulane. Tulane. What do you teach? Yes, why are you teaching those things? So today or for another day? Both. Yeah, but for the, today to prepare them for what? Oh, to, uh, to live lives. Ah, to live lives for another day. See, Bob's in the process of preparing people for another day, correct? So when they leave the university, hopefully your instruction has helped them. I think one of the greatest weaknesses in the church is that we're placing as too much, listen to my words, too much as a primary emphasis how we live right now and what's happening today. Is it important? Yes, but ultimately, why is it important? Why? Come on. Because of that day. See, God's eye, as he looks at us today, is on that day. And can we begin to readjust our looking? Can we begin to readjust our mental activity and anticipation? And see today in the light of that day. And so look what Paul says about that day when Jesus shall visibly return in Philippians 3:21. Then that day our present lowly bodies, what does that mean? This body that's under the curse. If you don't think you're under the curse, just get up, look in the mirror, and you'll know all about the curse. That today this present lowly body will be changed. Listen to this. To conform to his own glorious body. We are going to get bodies that are the same kind of body as the resurrected Jesus. We're going to get the same kind of body. This is the day when God the Father shall gather all of us from across the ages to be physically united with Jesus in his new kingdom. This is the day to keep your eye on. Now, believe it or not, you may not believe this. I used to run track. And I used to run the 100-yard dash. And we go to Berman Stadium across the river. Anybody, anybody ever run track over Berman? You know, we get down here, crouch down, and bam, they jump. And the track would turn, but the 100-yard the, the dash, you keep going. 
And the coach said this. Harlan, there's a telephone pole that you keep your eye on. Don't look this way, that way. Keep your eye on that pole. Keep your eye on that pole. Don't look anywhere else. Keep your eye on that pole. And run like. So I'm running along. And I hear the feet of other people next to me. But if I take my eye off that pole, it will change my gait so insignificantly to me that I may lose the race. Andy, you got it? Did I say that right? Keep an eye on the goal. There's a lot to change our view. Looking around and this and that and up and down and all that. Listen. Discern. Be aware of. But don't turn your head and start looking at it all. Because your gait is going to change. And you don't want to trip and stumble and fall down. You know what a sprint melody is when you're running along, you have this thing in your hand, and you pass it off to the guy in back of you. You know what I'm talking about? The relay. Are you with me? When we did relays, I don't know what they do today. I watch them. We're running along as fast as we could, and then, you know, the other guy comes up, and we, we have a hand back. We don't slow down. We run and like, hmm, he has to catch up with me and take it out of my hand. I'm not running like this and looking around because once that happens, I'm going to lose. I'm just running, 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 and moment... I feel the thing being taken out of my hand, let it go. Some of you know a little bit about this, don't you? Yes, I used to be able to move faster than I do now. You see, that's the day when the Father's purpose for us, that's when Genesis 126 is fully realized. This is the day when the Father shall be glorified in us who have been brought into union with his glorified, exalted son. This is the great eschatological. You know what that word means? Eschatological. Looking forward, future. This is the great eschatological day to which each one of us has been predestined by God's love. This is the day of the full experience of God's promise from the very beginning. They will be my people and I will be their God. That's this day. What day? When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. Amen? And on that day, we're going to hear a trumpet if we're still alive. For those who are dead in Christ will rise first. But those of us who are alive, if we are, there's going to be a trumpet blast. And we're going to be taken into the sky to join Jesus with the cloud of witnesses, the rest of the church, as he descends upon the earth to bring about a new heaven and a new earth. This is the day that is to be the goal of our life. Why? Because on that day, the Father will be fully, finally, and forever exonerated in the crucifixion of his Son and shall be glorified in the glory of his Son. That's the Father's goal for us. This is the day, and I love this verse, <clears throat> when Revelation 22.4 happens. Let me take a moment or two go past the time. Years ago, 
I'm in a coffee shop, PJs. And there's an older couple sitting here. And every time the front door of the coffee shop would open, Alan was the man's name, would look. And he'd, he and his wife, Margaret, would keep on talking. Oh, door open again. Anticipation. Then he'd keep on talking. And I watched this because I knew it was happening. Because it happened before. But then the door opened. And Alan looked. And Alan's face <gasps> beamed with a smile. The reason is his grandson had just entered the coffee shop and he saw the face of his grandson. Revelation 22, 4. And we shall see his face. So look at the last verse. So what does John say? And everyone, what? Who has this hope fixed on him shall purify himself or shall be pured even as he himself is pure. The church needs to do a lot better job to make sure that we are regularly and consistently underpinning the majority of our instruction with an eschatological emphasis that all the apostles, Jesus, and the prophets themselves had. So what is the good of this day? That day. Why are we to be obedient today? For that day. Amen? Next week, y'all come on back. We're going to have a breakfast together and have a lovely, hopefully, lovely fellowship together. Be ready for some of you. You may want to share what God has been doing in you. Thank you so much.